This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. I am joined by, um, sure, uh, a doctor with a phenomenal resume. It will take me all night um, to get through your your <laughs> your credentials, um, Doctor Merritt. Um, I'm going to call you Lee because it's just quicker and easy. You don't mind if yeah. I if I do that. It's I, I don't mean any disrespect, <laughs> but I think the 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 quickie is that you were in the navy in the u.s navy uh, as a surgeon you trained in orthopedic um uh surgery is that would that be the correct term correct um and then you've got a whole pile of adjacent qualifications that are linked to that but the moral of the story is that you do know what you're talking about and you've got many years behind you <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm an old fart um and i heard i mean i heard you say in a in a in a recent conversation that that you're not a virologist but i mean that doesn't matter does it not to this discussion i mean you know what we're learning by the way is that you can buy a doctor and you can buy a scientist and probably even cheaper than you can buy a politician so just having a title doesn't really guarantee they're going to tell you the truth you know so besides besides my being in the Navy for nine and a half years, I served on the Navy Research Advisory Committee, which is a, it, we looked at defense technology for the Navy. And by law, they had to have a doctor on it. So for four years, I sat next to people like retired generals and admirals and uh, the CEO of Laurel Corporation and people like that, looking at technology issues for the Navy. And I was kind of underutilized, but I decided myself that I would look into it what we call ABC, Atomic Biologic Chemical Warfare. It's the ABCs of warfare. And so I've hung around, plus I was married to the senior officer in the Marine Corps for 30 years. So I've literally hung around these guys and mm. some of that rubbed off. So I have to say that um, I, my ex-husband used to joke that I read more of the Commandant's reading list than, than most of the Marine <laughs> officers did. But, so I've, I've just been always surrounded by this issue of military thinking. And so when this whole thing, and I'll and I tell you, so as a result of that, mm -hmm. when I was chief of staff of a 250-bed hospital on, the, on, on a, uh, the Mexican border, so we were very isolated, and 9-11 happened. And then I saw the anthrax vac or the anthrax concern and that mm -hmm. anthrax that went around. And I said, people are getting vaccinated against anthrax. I said, what, really? Let's just look into that. Let me look and take another look at all this bioweapons. What's really going on here? Because I didn't think anthrax was a big deal, and it was kind of the this huge economic deal that happened after 9-11. So I started looking into things and I, I became very concerned about a smallpox attack mm. because if you look at the world, really, if you look at the real virology that we have to worry about, the most damaging, um, most deadly virus that we know, known to mankind, is smallpox up until this date and still. Smallpox has the potential of killing 60% of people in the world in a matter of months. It is it is 60% deadly in the stuff that we have in the bioweapons labs. And we know it's still out there. We know the Russians had it, the Soviets had it. When the wall fell, their weaponeers took it all over the world. We don't know exactly who has it in what lab. Um, so there's a potential. We've known that there's a potential for a bioweapons attack for a long time. And interesting, I was just talking to somebody. There, there, I used to tell my kids, one of them who's a surgeon now, but I used to tell my boys, when, if you're away from home and you hear that smallpox breaks out anywhere in the world, you come home and don't stop. Or if and don't get on a plane. If you hear Alec, um, oh, what's his name? It was uh, his real name is like Betchikoff or something, but uh, 
now I'm blanking on the name. Um, I was just thinking of it. I'll come up with it here in a second. But but there was a uh, defector from the Soviet Union who was the number two guy in at Vector or Biopreparat, one of the two. He was the uh, bioweapons programs guy. He was the number two guy. And he has he used to speak out a lot. You would see him listed in the newspaper talking about things and talking about smallpox, talking about the risks. You don't hear from him, and I'm not even sure he's still alive, but you don't hear from him anymore. But the bottom line is that we know a lot about what's been happening. And I, and I got very concerned about this because we're not, for example, being, we're, we, we are not being, our kids are not vaccinated against smallpox. And those of us who took a smallpox vaccine in the military, that's old news. That's, that's mm. 15 years, maybe it gives you protection, but no more. And yet in the clinic a few years ago, in my clinic, I saw an orthopedic patient, 15 year old from Argentina who had a smallpox vaccine. Now I said, and I asked him, I said, did you get a smallpox? Yeah, we all get vaccinated. Now, wouldn't that be something that you see the potential that kind of mm. got to me then is that there's a potential that I thought nobody was giving the smallpox vaccine, in which case it's a zero sum gain. You know, you don't release something that you would kill your people, too. But what if we're the only people not getting a smallpox vaccine? Is, is, there's, some, there's some real questions out there. So that's how I've been. Mm. I've kind of slowly come across. I, I tried to I looked into after 9-11 what we were doing for biologic preparedness, and I found out it's pretty darn small. It's pretty little. But I also discovered um, that that people have been thinking about this, even our people. Uh, well, I'm going to read you something. This is mm. from the Policy of the New American Century that was published in 2000. And I want you to just remember, these are not the Soviets. These are not the Chinese. These are our guys. These are our, our weapons, our military thinkers that are on that were on the mm. panels that developed the military, how to be better for the 21st century. And this is what they say, quote, advanced forms of biologic warfare that can target specific genotypes may transform biologic warfare from the realm of terror to a politically useful tool. And I just want people to think about that. These are our guys thinking about using biowarfare as a politically useful tool. Sure. And that's pretty shocking that's, to me. That's, that's hectic. And then... And I will tell you how I why I believe that it's involved here. When it, when this whole thing first came out, and I have a friend, by the way, that used to work at USAMRID. The, that's our bioweapons lab at, at Fort Detrick, Maryland. And um, and anyway, so I would I would when things like SARS came out, I would call him and I'd say, Hey, should mm. I be worried about this one? He'd say no. And then MERS, nah. But this one he told me to watch. And so I started watching this as it came across China wasn't too worried as it came to italy then i started to be worried because doctors were dying and i tell people when doctors start dying you need to watch out because i mean we we don't have a handle on this yet but quickly we we started you know i was on i was on email with doctors all over the world i had thankfully a group that i'm a member of past president we have a guy that's just sent out he was kind of he was kind of being the factotum for all these doctors keeping us in touch with each other and the latest information people were finding so if you found a paper published 20 years ago on chloroquine for example you'd send it to him he'd put it up and then he'd, he'd collate all this mm. so that was really helpful that's how we knew about hydroxychloroquine early so when i saw this all coming out and i would hear experts talk i realized not only were they wrong about a couple things they the people that we were relying on, like Tony Fauci and Burks and the, the people that were talking, they were telling us things that clearly they couldn't have believed. These are smart people. I mean, I fell asleep in front of Fauci when I was an intern. He was giving a lecture. <laughs> there were only four people in the room, and I fell asleep in front of him. But anyway, he's not, he wasn't that boring. I guess I was just up all night. But these guys are not dumb people. Why were they saying all this? 
and I realized they were wrong about everything. They were wrong about the way to do containment. They, they acted like they'd never seen a disease before. They didn't have any idea how to control it or how to even think about it. Mm. And then I realized, aha, it's not by accident. It can't be by accident. And when I hear today, I was on a panel recently with Dr. McCullough and Harvey Risch and Dr. Free and all these guys from the Ivy League, right? And me, and I, I'm in the middle of nowhere. But I said, but they're all they're all saying, well, this is true and this is true, and it just doesn't make sense. Why aren't they telling us this? They kept saying it doesn't make sense, and finally I raised my hand and I said, it makes sense if you think we are in an unconventional war, that this is being used as a warfare target, and we are a warfare target. And you know, Sun Tzu said the best the best, the, the highest art of warfare, I mean, this is not verbatim, but the highest art of warfare is to really never actually engage in battle, to take out your enemy through stealth. Now, in our lifetime, you know, um, I credit the Americans, although it actually guerrilla warfare can be traced back to the Romans or the Carthaginians mm -hmm. or something, but, but we, I credit America for having really developed the perfected the, the idea of guerrilla warfare against the British. We thought we were very unsportsmanlike in our Revolutionary War because we were dressing mm. in camouflage and shooting from behind trees, and the British were marching in lines and we were taking them down. Okay, that's warfare 3.0. In our lifetime, we've seen warfare 4.0, where like ISIS and and uh, Al Qaeda. These are these are by the definition of of the Geneva Convention they meet the criteria for a standing army but you're so you know you're being attacked but you don't really know who your enemy is because you don't know who's paying them who are these people they're they're not a yeah. nation state it's they're, almost like you're fighting a shadow right they're the, the the actual perpetrator against you the enemy is in the shadow they're putting out this people as the front men right mm. but what if you could take that a step further and this was a talk I was preparing to give before this whole thing broke out it was going to be called the weaponization of medicine but unfortunately this whole thing came out before I could even get the talk mm -hmm. given but my point was going to be that what if we could have warfare 5.0 where not only did you not know who the enemy was you didn't realize you were being attacked what was happening to you thought was just nature or you know routine things happening and and that would involve subtle bioweapons subtle chemical weapons for this kind of warfare you need biologists you need chemists you need doctors and i think that's what we're seeing here so not only do you know the the warfare unconventional mm. means there's no set battlefield the um, battlefield could be in our mind yeah lee but before you before i allow you to continue can i just quickly cover some territory <laughs> excuse the pun uh cover some territory that always comes up in the in the comments um okay so i'm sure you are well aware of the the uh, dismissal of a the existence of the virus and b the the existence of covid would you mind just dealing with those sure, two things mm. and, and and let me say first of all even though I'm not a virologist, I have as much training as you could possibly get in medicine. I know yeah. I've done research. I've been at a major university. I have, I know how to read the literature. Okay. So I'm not completely idiotic when it comes to this. And yet it is hard to figure things out. Science should be clear. It should be easy to understand in a way, if you know what you're reading yeah. and it should be transparent. In other words, how hard is it to answer the question, have we sequenced the genome of SARS-CoV-2? How hard should that be to figure out? But I can't really figure that out. Although we heard it was sequenced, then we come to find out, and some of this is through le legal people finding this out through subpoena. So we don't have subpoena power. I have to do what's in the published literature, or at least, you know, even if it's pre-publication, not peer-reviewed, I have to go what people are putting out. 
But we come to find out that actually it appears now that the SARS-CoV-2 virus has not been completely sequenced, that it was not isolated. So what that means is you didn't, when they took lung, when they, there were three papers that looked at this and they took lung, the goo that people produce in their lungs, and instead of culturing out and purifying a virus, looking at it under electron microscopy so you know you have a pure sample, do, do things that virologists do know a lot more than I do. We have just used these PCR tests, which we have, we have discovered sequences of genomes that we associated with the old SARS virus. We kind of made some assumptions. Then they got together. The people that were looking at this had multiple samples, and they put their, their geno genomic pieces together using computer modeling and a vote. Okay, so how much of the genome is actually sequenced? 90% or 20%? How much is the vote and the computer model? If somebody can tell me that, I'd like to know. But okay, so I personally, that shouldn't be that hard. And the second thing is, because mm -hmm. we haven't really isolated the virus, I do believe there's an illness. And I do believe, I, I'm not one of these people that don't believe there's a virus and don't believe, I think there's a virus. And whatever's happening to people in my 40 years in medicine is unique. It's not exactly the flu. I don't buy this. It's just the flu. Okay. I'm taking care of some COVID patients and by telemedicine. And I can tell you there's specific issues with these people that we don't really see with the flu. For example, um, there, if obesity is a big risk, even in younger people. So that's not we don't see that in the flu that I know of. I've never seen that of type A blood. OK, now, one thing that is in common is vitamin D levels are critical. If your vitamin D level is below 30, you have a higher, much higher risk of getting sick and dying than if it's above 30. So that one we knew that's a that's a general antiviral principle. But the other two are not. The other thing we know is that I I. I have this this I can find out and read the literature and I will tell you rather than going through I can go through the details in some time but that takes some time which we don't have necessarily but there are certain cardinal signs that you look for to prove that a disease has jumped from one species to another and none of them are present here mm. okay trust me none of them are present not the least of which is they cannot find an animal host that will they cannot reinfect that stuff mm. there is no positive uh, they did not find anybody any animal in the meat market that was positive for this virus. So the idea that this spontaneously jumped from animals into humans is that's bogus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That won't even the, what what we do know is that patient zero was coincidentally in the military hospital adjacent to the Wuhan lab. Okay. <laughs> and all the early <laughs> were on the subway line to right in front of the Wuhan lab meat market area. So again this is not by accident. So whether they let it out, nobody can, I don't, I can't, I can't prove it in any way, one way or another, whether it was purposely or accidentally released from the Wuhan lab, but the chance that it didn't come out of there is almost zero. I can't right. imagine it not. I mean, unless somebody from, you know, Borneo who had a grudge re released some virus in front of the Wuhan lab mm. just to make it look that way, the chance of that's pretty small. So this is a man-made, man-upregulated pathogen. The other thing we know is mm. we can trace where the money went to develop this. Yes. We have patents on this. But the other thing that really is convincing that this is a man-made upregulated pathogen is, in nature, when viruses jump species, they don't do it all at once. They, it's it's kind of like, I have chickens, and, and it's like raccoons trying to get into your chicken house. They, yes. they, they try to find a way in, and they try here, and they try there, and they can't quite get in. And then one day they get in. But it isn't perfect. They don't get all the chickens the first time. They might just reach in and grab one. But once they get the hole big enough, then they can take their whole family in and take them all. Mm. 
that's kind of the way viruses do. They, they pick at the human genome, they try and get into our cells, and they leave behind a trail. And when they do finally get in to make a few people sick, it isn't a perfect fit. Now in this pathogen, what we discovered, that guy in Wuhan that got the first case zero that they found, it was a perfect fit. This, 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 the head of the coronavirus is the spike protein. And what made it pathogenic, what, see the spike protein just, or the regular coronavirus with the spike protein just gets into your nose and gives you a cold or slightly upper respiratory infection, right? Or nothing. But this can give you death-like illness or death illness because it, it can get into these called ACE2 pathways all around the body. They're in your brain, your heart, your lungs, your liver, I guess all over the place, men's testicles, um, all over, heart. So the ACE2 pathway and the new modified coronavirus spike protein are a perfect lock and key fit in patient zero. That couldn't have happened by accident. That was right. genetically engineered. And we have the patent and we have we know how people have looked at this in the past. So it's it's definitely a bioweapon. Now I did that answer that question? No, well about- def- yeah, definitely. Okay. So then so then following on from that, it's then reasonable to assume that people all over the world got sick from this uh from this disease triggered by the virus, not so. Well, now there's where we hit a snag because okay. what we know is this came out in flu season and every year we have people die of the flu. Mm. Now, if we had a, a serious test that was correct, that really, you know, when you do tests, here's the other point, um, and even most doctors really don't get this. There's, there's a thing called predictive value of a test. And, and so when we look at standardized tests, we have a gold standard. So if I wanted to know, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, glucose level, say, and I look at, at and I, we have tests for that. I have a gold standard at which I can gauge my lab test against to make sure that I'm, first of all, reproducible, okay? We don't have a gold standard for this. All we have are these PCR tests. And then the problem is we, finally the WHO and the uh, CDC and everybody on the day after the presidential election had this epiphany and said what a lot of us have been saying, that these PCR tests can be used to either cycle up and get positive tests or cycle down and get negative tests. In other words, those tests were able to be manipulated to get the results that you wanted. So if if this were, let's say, let's say that you this wasn't purposeful, even so, the problem is we don't know what the false positive rate of those tests. Dr. Michael Yaden, who's the former vice president of uh, Pfizer, Pfizer, senior senior science guy, yeah, he 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 said at one point way back that these are probably ninety percent false positives, and it took six months later or more for the CDC and, and WHO and people to agree with that. So all those testing we were doing during March and April of 2020, and when it came across America, how much of it was real? How many people died of flu? That, that just, you know, would have died of flu. That, that, that's the question. So we don't really have a, a, a clear mm. understanding. I do think there's there's a virus that's different that did go around that made people sick in a slightly different way. And I say that just as a clinician because I saw a different, even though that's not my primary specialty, mm. from, from a community standpoint, I've not seen some of the things I see with this. So I, I, I really do believe there's some differences here. But how but much severe? of that, right? How but but how much severity? How much of that was responsible for the death count is a whole different issue, and I don't know that I really have a handle on this. What I will say is that when they when the 
you know, we had a death graph, and if you look at the the the, the bell-shaped curve that showed deaths, the the English who did everything, the British, they they locked them down, they mm. they uh, wore masks, they stood in their little government-approved six-foot circles, they did everything, okay. And their death curve was actually identical in shape to the to Swedish death curve. To the, they yeah. did so that. there was clearly a viral season. We clearly had a death curve. We had one in America. But if you look at it, and I have this on one of my talks, you can see that the curve would the curve went down. It had a little longer tail off of it, probably because we started manipulating the, the numbers up at that point. But mm. the little longer tail going down. But it was the same standard death curve we see every year. Mm, I saw that presentation However, of yours. You had a sorry. You had a, you had a yellow curve that wasn't very visible. Right. Right. And then, but what they started doing then was count cases, and see, this is where we get into obfuscation because. Since the time of Hippocrates, a case was considered a sick person, but they redefined it in 2020 to mean a positive test. So let me get this. Let me get this straight. We're, we're now counting cases of people that aren't sick with a test. We don't know what it means for a virus. Mm. We're not sure we have it isolated. So you see the difficulty here. Right. So that part of it is very mushy. But I mean, as my wife asked, why are they concerned about cases? Uh, Lee? Well, again, and so here's where you get into it. You wouldn't be concerned about cases except if you were a a, a CDC epidemiologist in the old days. We mm. wouldn't even be, you wouldn't be testing the masses. In the old days, when they really were apparently concerned about disease and, 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 and potential pandemics, what they would do is they would sample with very sophisticated tests. They would make sure they knew what they were testing. They would sample a small part of the population in areas they were concerned about or a representative sample, and they would see what's happening with antibodies and, and whether or not we were getting mm -hmm. immune to this in a population, and then they would generalize and figure out what was going on. We did that with flu, we did that with other things. In this case, it's more a publicity stunt. They're mm -hmm. they're doing these, they're testing everybody. The more, and as Michael Yaden said, the more you test, the more false positives, the more you're gonna scare the world, the more you're gonna show that this disease is more than you think it is. Um, the Carol, you know, for example, Karolinska Institute and the lead geneticist of uh, the, the Rush in Russia, I think in, in Moscow, they both said that by May of last year, 30% of their population were immune. That by if you did tests of tissue immunity, not just not just antibodies. Okay, mm. so again, this has been obfuscated. So why do you count tests? Well, one of the reasons you would count cases is to create fear in a population. Yeah. I can't come up with another reason. Yeah. And and I think this then gets to at the heart of this matter of this mm. isn't a terribly this isn't a terribly deadly virus overall. It's yes, benign. I it's fairly benign. Few more people. Yeah. For most people, for the major, vast majority of people. In fact, I looked at total, they, I knew they were manipulating things. So I just looked at total death count between January and August when I gave a talk. And the, the, the survivability of, of COVID in that by August, after having gone through all that time, was 99.991% worldwide. But the survivability in New York State was the worst in the world. They had a point, whereas they had a 0.17% mortality rate. Old okay? people. Where, yeah, but and it was mostly old people, but not all. But but where was the best? In Uganda. And people, places we think of as dictatorial third world countries were doing 10,000 times better. Their death rate was 0.00003%. So that kind of said, What's going on mm, here? Yeah. Okay? And I'll tell you what's going on. 
it's not just the weather, okay? Admittedly, the, the sub-Saharan African humid countries are benefited by the fact that absolute humidity drops viruses out of the atmosphere. But the other thing is, it's not, when we really look at the data, it rolls out that countries that use hydroxychloroquine early and often have a 78% less death rate. Now, in Uganda and these third world countries down below, you know, like Senegal and, 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 and uh, Nigeria, you can walk down the street and buy yourself hydroxychloroquine. They have to do that. It's what keeps them alive from malaria and these other diseases they have down there. But in the free, you know, United States of America, theoretically, you have to get a doctor's permission. And we had five governors outlawing permission. You can trace, and this is again, this is what woke me up to the, the idea that there's an agenda not to save people's health. I can go, I traced the, I treat, when I first learned about hydroxychloroquine in about January of 2020, I started tracing, I started looking for literature. And if you know, you know, again, it, there takes some skill and some, so you have to have some understanding of science. Your wife could do this. You know, not everybody can do this. You can go from paper to, to reference, figure out what's important, find the reference, go back and back and back and back. And I found that in 1974, we had an idea that these lysosomotropic agents like hydroxychloroquine could treat viruses. What the heck? Are you telling me we had this idea and we didn't research it and we tell people? So, so then, and, and it, it gets worse because in 2004, when my head exploded, is when I found a paper from a Chinese author in the journal Virology, which is a big you know, journal in terms of, of mm. virologic research. Chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of influenza A in vitro, meaning when they used the, pre pre uh, the, the predecessor of hydroxychloroquine was chloroquine. They knew back in 2004, there was a potential to treat the flu with these disease, with these drugs that are FDA approved, cheap and worldwide mm. available. Now, what that tells you is, for every year that they've sold, just let's make the next logical step. Every year they told you, oh, go get your vaccine for flu. Go get your because 60,000 people died last year of the flu. Well, that's also a manipulated number. Again, not only about 6,000 died of the flu, 60,000 died of what they now, they don't even count the flu at the CDC, by the way. They yeah. count influenza-like illness. So, right. but nonetheless, I'll give them, it's, a, it's an influ, it's a viral illness. If these things could treat viruses, essentially you have to accept the idea that they let people die every year rather than pursue this for what reason? One is to potentially support their $69 billion vaccine industry, but I I will just come out and say I think it's more than that. I don't think it's orange man bad. Everybody wants to say, oh, it's because Trump mentioned it. No, it's too much. It's too big for that. And it started before Trump. To stop the public, you know, in most most of the time, when you find something like this, this Chinese author did, holy heck, that should have been. Oh, I've, I'm so excited! I discovered a treatment for flu and colds, and it didn't go anywhere. Okay, now to stop the publication, the further research, the uh, discussion at medical meetings, the t teaching of medical education and pharmaceutical training, that took a lot of juice at a high level. People don't want to think there are conspiracies. That could not have been at a um, low level, not have been a journalist. Yeah, let, let me just pause you for a second, because this, this concept of conspiracy and conspiracy theory has become uh, 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 normal talk right. now for the last 12 months. I don't care for such terms because conspiracies happen daily. So for me, right. it's, it's not for me, it's not at all an issue to think that there are people uh, with agendas. It's quite right. normal. In fact, it's actually quite ridiculous to think that that people don't conspire 
Um, and it's easier. I, I it's agree. easier now today. It's easier because you don't have to actually move. You can just do it on the internet. So it's very easy right. to conspire. So I just want to throw that out there at you to, just to say that the term conspiracy or conspiracy theorist doesn't bother me. <laughs> well, that's good. And I actually, I don't know if you know where that, do you know where the history of that term came from? CIA, I believe. It's kind of interesting because I have a friend, by the way, who he's also, I'm a spine surgeon, he's a spine surgeon, and we're both kind of retired now. And he said to me one time, he's at a meeting, he said, you know, and this was maybe 10 years ago, he says, I think I've chosen to believe all conspiracy theories because I think statistically I'll be more right than if I believe in none. <laughs> and I just thought that was a really funny comment back then, but I'm starting to come around to his solution. But here's what happened in America mm. in, the, in the 1970s. So we had the Kennedy assassination, and then we had the Warren Commission report. And when the Warren Commission report came out, people looked at it, and I'm one of them, I remember thinking, that can't be right, that just doesn't sound right. And they started looking at President Johnson as being part of the maybe conspiracy to take down Kennedy. Mm. Well, the CIA, of course, Johnson wasn't happy about that, I'm sure, but the CIA published a, a, a little memo, and I actually have a copy on my computer. It's from the clandestine service. It's stamped CS, and it went around to all their little places, their their offices around America, which, by the way, I didn't think we were supposed to have those. They were supposed to be for foreign. We were only supposed to spy on foreigners, but we had offices by um, uh, news blurb places. They had CIA offices set up, and they could control the narrative and what they MK, did was they MK Ultra, up, isn't that right? Well that's a different that's that's the that's mind control. But this oh, okay. is the CIA for propaganda control. This was Mockingbird, Project Mockingbird. But but whether or not what I don't know if this I don't think this was part of it, but basically the they sent out a blurb that said to their CIA operatives Listen, if you're going to talk to politicians or you're going to talk to the, the news media or people that are sh movers and shakers, don't even get into the data from the – don't start arguing the data of, mm. the, of the Warren Commission report. Just call the people that don't believe it crazy conspiracy theorists, and it'll make it a joke, and it'll all go away. And, in yeah. fact, it did. I said that's the CIA's most successful program. You see, it's like, it's like anti-vaxxer. You need a term to shut the conversation up so nobody actually can debate the actual technical yes, points. correct. And that's what conspiracy theorists has become as an anti-vaxxer. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't be an anti-vaxxer, for example, to simply ask for transparency and safety in your vaccine programs, you know. No, that's I mean, what it's come down I to. Mean, I mean, as, so, as, as I said to you earlier, I mean, my wife's a vet and um, rabies is an incredibly dangerous uh, uh, virus, I believe it is. Uh, you'll, if, you, if, you, if you transmit uh, rabies, you'll die within, what, two days, unless you... So you need to be vaccinated, um, but but to be opposed to this particular vaccine for COVID doesn't mean you're an anti-vaxxer. It means that you're. Right. It means that you're thinking about because I I'm not a doctor. All right, so I'm not a doctor, Lee. But let me tell you why I refuse this COVID vaccine. I know that a vaccine can take anything between five to ten years to develop. Apparently, though, there's this amazing technology that they're now using this biotechnology that can have them create a vaccine in under a year. Uh, my understanding is that there are no long-term safety trials and you still have to wear a mask and, and not fly on an airplane and stand apart from other people. So I'd, there's something that I'm missing here and I'm hoping you right. can explain so, it to me. Exactly. And so there's where we get into, right. we want to talk about the, what makes sense of all this. Okay. Right. The, the, the things I can just summarize to, to, be, to put this in perspective, we have a treatment for this disease that's extremely effective. 
and it's been censored, it's been demonized, they've blown up two, uh, or they, this, okay, they lately the hydroxychloroquine factory in Taiwan magically burned down, and we'd also had two explosions burning down precursor factories almost on the same day in Mexico and Illinois last year. I don't think three factories that make hydroxychloroquine and precursor are an accident, okay? What I conclude from all this, having looked at the literature and what's happened to hydroxychloroquine is, there's no reason it should have gone this way. This should have been what we should have, we could have stopped, let me just point out, we, should, we could have stopped this whole date dying process if everybody in like February or March of last year started taking hydroxychloroquine one tablet twice a day for 12 weeks because there's no animal reservoir of this virus, of this disease. So that would have, that would have acted like a vaccine and it would have been cheap, effective, and already FDA approved and, and safe. It would have been over, okay? If I can figure that out, you know that the big big biology gurus should have figured this out, and this means there's something else afoot here. Money. So, yeah, well, we have treatment, okay? So we have treatment available, all righty? We, um, we are censoring people that talk about that treatment. Yes. Now we have a vaccine, as you said, that really isn't a vaccine because the definition, by definition, a vaccine should decrease transmission, stop transmission. This does not do that. It's not, and, and, he's, and you're right, it's a completely, I, we can go into history of this, but it's a completely novel technology. It's never been used in humans before. It's never safely passed animal studies. The animals died, and your wife may know about those studies in 2004, 2014 with SARS and MERS, because cats get coronavirus, but they could yeah. never keep the cat alive after this test. Um, and so, there's, so, so, so the big picture here is they really, 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 really do not want you to have the hydroxychloroquine but they really, 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 really want you to have this vaccine. So what could put all of this together? And the answer is, and by the way, the other thing is, what could cause the United States of America to be taken down economically, to be shut down, to have people afraid, red-blooded Americans having standing in circles with lines around them and being afraid to come out of their house and driving around in their car with a mask on? It's in my opinion, what this is, is a it's a multidimensional warfare against us and to some degree against the world. But we are the primary target because when it comes to individual freedom, we're kind of one of the last men standing. OK. Mm. And what they did is right out of a playbook of psychological warfare. There was a guy named Albert Biederman. And after the Korean War, he was tasked with looking at prisoners of war coming back from North Korea who seemed to have become anti-American. What happened? You know, the Manchurian Candidate, that movie, and the, and the idea that you could be brainwashed. That's what the term came out of that. So the government tasked him, hey, do the Chinese have some voodoo or the North Koreans have some chemical that's doing that? And he, he looked at these people, he examined them, and he said, no. Uh, in fact, he wrote a book about this and testified before Congress. He says, no, this is just classic psychological manipulation. And so, and I would say anybody interested you can look this up on the internet it's called Biederman's chart of coercion and this is what he said that they did to these people and this is what we do to our prisoners of war when we want to ex you know extract information get them to submit to our will basically this is how you get somebody to submit to your will number one you put them in isolation oh the lockdowns right sure. so suddenly we're not able because you can't talk to people you you know when you're in isolation now you're not having the same human-human interaction. So you don't have the support structure. Even if you can share information, you can't hug, you can't, you can't get with people that might support you not going nuts, you know. The second thing you do is monopolize perception. You, so we had the mainstream media lying about the death tolls, 
lying about the dangerous aspects of these disease, censoring all this stuff about treatment. So people had no hope. They're looking at this and they're every night it's being bombarded. If they watching the mainstream media, they're being bombarded with this information telling them it's horrible, it's horrible, and you know, you have to do everything that the CDC says or you're gonna die. Well, that creates fear. Okay, so you the, now the people are afraid. The next thing you do is you add confusion. Okay, so in a prisoner of war situation, you might go in and 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 tell the guy he's going to go home tomorrow. And then an hour later, somebody comes in and says, well, we're moving you to this cell because for the next 10 years, we want you there. And you go, wait a minute. They just told me I was going home. So, he, you know, you get the idea of one thing or or you're, you're told that green is blue and that, you know, up is that you just you're just confused about the reality isn't making sense. Well, the, the doctor of confusion was Tony Fauci. He would come in one day and he'd say, no, you people don't need a mask, right? You don't need any mask. That's just for medical care workers. It won't do you any good. Oh, wait, you need a mask and you need to wear it all the time. Oh, wait, no, you don't need a mask. It's really not doing anything for the virus. We know that. It's just so you keep, don't keep your, I, these are actual, uh, I'm making up the, the lingo, but I'm being funny about that. But this is actually what he said on a, on a, on a repeated basis you know he would say you know you really need it because it does stop the transmission of the virus then he said no it actually doesn't do anything through the virus it's just so you keep your hands off your face literally we're having a mask mandate to keep your hands off your face think about that and then the next one was um oh it's just to show that you're we're all to get we're all together it's a it's to, to so you care about your neighbor kind of thing and then it was oh remember then it was uh no you, you don't you need uh uh, you need more than one layer of mask. Now you need a compound mask. Mm. And that, well, and then the very next day he said, oh, actually, no, you don't need that. So, you know, that's the kind of thing. And for physicians, he was the doctor of confusion because we knew that he had he promoted uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine for SARS and MERS. Mm. But and especially for MERS, I have him, you know, on, on his word for word where he talks about it. Um, and now he's saying, oh, no, there's no evidence for that. Well... Again, it's and this is called cognitive dissonance. So when you take fear and you add confusion, that's how you produce the Stockholm syndrome. I asked a psychiatric friend of mine, I said, tell me who these people are driving around there in the alone in their car with masks. And he said, those are Stockholm syndrome patients. They're just people that they're so they're so afraid. They've been made so afraid and so anxious. And anxiety is a zone that mm. you can't live in. You have to get out of it somewhere or another. Now, for me, I got out of it by reading everything I possibly could for six months and studying this and deciding that we're at war and we need to take this on as being warriors, information warriors. He, But people that are afraid and can't do, they can't read the scientific literature. They don't know who's telling them the truth. They're so confused. They just decide, I've got to trust somebody. I'm going to trust the CDC. I'm going to do exactly what yeah. they say and maybe even more. I'll wash my hands 100 times a day and I'll do it. Okay. And those, that's what has set us up now for the last stage of this, which is this vaccination program, okay? And I will tell you, this didn't start with this. We have conditioned our population, and we're one of the worst. And the United States has the most mandated vaccines that I know of. We are one of the worst. I hear people, I hear older people saying, oh, they're not going to mandate I take a vaccine. They're not going to drag me out for a vaccination. I said, you know what? You say that. Where were you when they mandated the children have vaccines to go to school, right? And then where were you when they mandated nurses have vaccines to work in the hospitals when there's no evidence that made a difference to flu transmission? Then it was the policemen or the EMTs. You know what? I, we've slowly mandated more and more groups get vaccinated with it, these vaccines. So we're used to standing in line. This is control. Again, these are classic uh, psychological warfare techniques. This is command and control conditioning. So we have been commanded and controlled and we've been we've been 
given a kind of pseudo reality here that masks work, that that we know what's going on, that blah blah blah, and that, and this is what you have to do to, to be well, and that's where we are. And in the process, what have we done? We've economically, and and the other thing yeah. I think that goes along with my view of the world is. It's not just about this virus. Coincidentally, we've had cyber attacks on the Pentagon, cyber attacks on our on our satellites. Um, we've got warships stationed off the coast. We've got things going on that a lot of people may not be aware of. Mm. And um, so there are things happening that also go along with a multi-dimensional uh, warfare. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, you, I mean, as an outsider looking on, um, I can also just state for the record that your election in 2020 was 100% fair there was nothing weird or untoward about it um joe biden is obviously the most popular president in american history <laughs> i can you couldn't get through that with a straight face good for you <laughs> um no, no, and, you know, seriously i mean and and just this is this is the kind of thing that this is where you get into you know people argue with each other about the Q conspiracy and all this kind of stuff. I'm just going to tell you, from having spent my adult life, most of my adult life, either in the military or married to the military, and going to functions and living in Washington D.C., all the optics are wrong. You know yes. what we're seeing; it doesn't make sense in reality. So, um, I personally think again that's it's that doesn't prove my case, but I'm saying. Mm. If you look at this as a as a as a weird sort of bio warfare. We we didn't create a, a terribly deadly virus, but they figured out they didn't need to. Yes, and and and, and they we, could and they could create and release another one that's deadlier well, in the future. That is my next point. The reason we need to recognize what's going on is to not be continually snockered. We are continually mm. being used. We're we're being treated like sheep. And we're being manipulated to get ourselves into the pen. And, you know, the sheepdog doesn't ever bite the sheep. You guys, you know, there are a lot of sheepdog people in, in the British colonies. So, but they but they don't bite the sheep. They're trained not to do that. In fact, they have a special term. If they start biting the sheep, then they're taken off well, line and retrained. They're, they, the sheep go in because they're afraid. As a, that's as what a, they're using. As it turns out, Lee, uh, my wife and I actually own two sheepdogs. <laughs> oh, are they buying the sheep? <laughs> um, no, that's true. They're, they're, they're not supposed to. And so the point, mm. my point is that people, they don't get put into the pen because of their being, you know, pushed. They get themselves into the pen because they're afraid and they're too stupid and cannot learn that this is all noise that the sheepdog runs around and barks at them. But now, okay, so I, I have to... I have to deal with the elephant in the room, all right? So if there is some sort of bio-warfare happening around us, okay? And I agree with you, it, it is. It's difficult to pin to pinpoint, you know, to, to, to put the tail on the donkey. I, I, you know, it's all kind of vague, but it's there. It's there. Who is the enemy? And who, who's they? Yeah. Yeah, who's they? Well, and that's the beauty. That's what, you know, you try and talk to your my, my liberal friends about this. And it's it's that's the first thing that everybody says. Who's there? Who's there? Is yeah. it, you know, you're just one of these stupid conspiracy theorists. And I'm going to say that is to some degree this has to do with your worldview. But you can at least start at the bottom level. Qui bono? Who benefits from this? Right? Is it you or me that we're we're losing our businesses? We're locked down. We are you know being terrorized. We are being uh, and 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 let me just say. You know, if you really look at the numbers of these Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca uh, products, they don't justify being given. They, you know, the risk benefit is not positive. 
the, 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 the benefit you get is less than the risk, in my opinion. This is just my, but I've been looking at the VAERS data. I've been reading the studies, this whole thing about bleeding. So again, you have to take all of this, not just the viral outbreak, mm. but the end result here seems to be giving us this, this product. So who are they? Well, the first thing to say is, and we can prove this, what happened, same thing happened in swine flu. The only people to benefit from that pandemic that they declared and got everybody concerned about were the vaccine companies. They made billions of dollars and it didn't do anything. What happened and they got the, and here's, let me just point out, this is a perfect whodunit kind of thing because that's a smaller, easier microcosm to look at. And I think it was around 2009 or 2008, but several years before that, um, the EMA, which is the European, they're like the FDA for Europe, right? They, I, mean, I forget what that stands for, but they're the FDA for Europe. The pharmaceutical companies fund them, okay? They're the major funder. They're also the major funder of our FDA. People don't realize that, but the FDA doesn't do independent studies. They're funded by the drug companies to look at their studies, right? So it's kind of like, I'm going to give you $1,000. Here's all my studies. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. You know, yeah, that's kind of called bribery in any other job. But that, so the, the FDA or the, the pharmaceutical giants are funding the EMA in Europe. They get the EMA and the WHO to change the... Um, the definition of what a pandemic is. And then two years later, they declare a pandemic for the H1N1. So then everybody gets scared. And so the pharmaceutical companies say, no problem, we've got this, we've got a vaccine and we've got antivirals. So they get companies, governments, to uh, mortgage themselves up to the hilt, in some case to the point they couldn't pay it back. And they got they got they paid enormous amounts of money to the pharmaceutical giants to produce these and to distribute these vaccines and things. Well, then what happened? Well, it turned out to fizzle out. It wasn't a big pandemic. So now these companies, mm. these countries are stuck with all this stuff they really didn't need. And in Europe, they had 700 cases or more of childhood narcolepsy. These people are permanently disabled from this, from having taken these these agents now walk away from that and say then they had to oh then they had to destroy these agents because they they realized they were harmful at the taxpayers expense so again did the EMA get damaged no their government agency they get paid they didn't miss a paycheck right they didn't get did the did the government uh, people that decided to buy all this and buy into this get damaged no government people they don't mm -hmm. lose their paychecks we don't not one federal employee has lost a paycheck in COVID okay did the, did the people get disadvantaged? Yes, people were damaged. People were given drugs they didn't need and might have long-term consequences, we don't know. But who were the, the one winner? The pharmaceutical companies. So at the very bottom of this pyramid, if we wanna talk who's controlling this show, there's no question that the pharmaceutical companies benefit. Now, I don't believe that they all got together though and started this. That doesn't make sense because they didn't fund the Wuhan lab. That was our NDAID. That was our people, okay? Um, we funded, so again, when you go up a little higher, where's the money come to fund all these bioweaponeers? Well, it turns out that it comes, there's a lot of it going around, but one of the big sources is our NIH. So there's there's some and who who contributes money to the NIH these big foundations these big multinational the Gates Foundation the Rockefeller Foundation the Ford Foundation who knows there are the, all these different big money people that contribute to that as well as our government that tax their people to do it so what what I think that we didn't appreciate before all this came out is the power you know 
if, if I had funded, let's say if I had been funding, and I'm just making this as an example, I don't know anything about the Ford Motor Company, but let's say that suddenly I started funding Ford Motor Company in Detroit to start making war weapons. And I mm. said, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just a nonprofit organization, but I really, really think we need some more um, uh, MRAPs and and big tanks and some uh, big uh, big weapons of all sorts of stuff. Will you start producing it? Here's the money. Well, that would be found out, right? We would say, what's this all about? If the, and then if I got all my buddies at, the, at all these other foundations to contribute money to that, we'd realize that there's something up, right? But what if I did that to, a, 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 to the NIH, who could then fund bioweaponeers all over the country? And all over the world, and essentially that's what happened here. We had we had, and over the course, I understood, and I, I don't have the exact numbers, but I heard that Tony Fauci, over the course of his forty years at the NIH, eighty billion dollars, eight hundred billion dollars, eight hundred billion has passed across his desk. That buys a lot of doctors and a lot of scientists and a lot of research labs. He only gave seven million dollars to the Wuhan lab because they're very, you know, dollars go a long ways in China. And but Jeez. we are funding these all over the world. So there's the next level up. And then you have to say, who are these multinational corporations and who where do they play in? These are the people then then look at Davos, look at the Bilderberg. But Davos is a good place to look next. There is um, Klaus Schwab. What's oh. he do? He writes a book. Here's the point. COVID-19 mm. and the Great Reset. And what's he really saying? He's really talking about putting us on a plantation. If you read that book, that's exactly what we're talking about that they'll pay off your debt you won't own anything you'll have no private property by 2030 but don't worry you're gonna be happy because you'll have no debt okay i mean that's really what we're talking about here he sounds like blowfield so i think what we're dealing with beyond that i'm not going to speculate but i do mm. believe that we're looking at a consortium you know well I will, I will, i'll speculate about one more thing that is mm. absolutely provable and you can go back into the Rockefeller Foundation documents. You can read, you can hear what Prince Philip has said. You can, there's all sorts of examples of this, including like the Kenyan, I think it was, it may have been this, I, it may have been this Tanzanian president that's now missing, by the way, because he spoke out against the vaccine. He's dead. They just found him dead. Um, he's been missing for a couple of weeks and he was speaking out against vaccines. And he's the guy that sent the papaya in yeah. and got the false yeah. test. I believe it was him, but it may not have been, but it was another African leader. It says, why when the billionaires do-gooders always come over here to help us, it always results in birth control. And, you know, it's always yes. about birth control. Yes. So it, what, what you can absolutely say here is that there's a billionaires and trillionaires club in this world, and they're really focused on world population control. They, they've said it. They say it over and over again. Bill Gates says it. Uh, the Rockefellers, you go way back, have said it. Um, you know, Henry Kissinger, you go back. It's all, but it, we're, the Billionaires Club have been talking about this for a very long time, and we're not in it. You know, we're not in that club. Mm. And, and I will say the last, the last thing, which is putting me out of the limb a little bit, but I'm just going to make this point. Psychiatrists estimate that 4% of the world are psychopaths. Psychopaths don't see the world the way that you and I do. And one of the problems we have with thinking about conspiracies or any of this stuff going on, why we don't understand what happened in Nazi yes. Germany, why we don't understand Stalin, why we don't, how could you murder 30 million of your own people, you know? Mm. It's because we're not psychopaths. But keep in mind that psychopaths exist. That's a provable fact. And, and the, the, the qualities of a psychopath 
are the qualities. If you if I tell you the qualities, it's going to sound familiar. They don't. They they have no empathy with the little people. Okay, mm. they have no. They, they kind of associate among themselves, but they have no empathy for people outside their psychopath club. They don't see them as the same. Okay, they also um, they they will they they can't they never take responsibility for their own actions. They always blame someone else. They're very smart and very cunning and very verbally adept, and they. Um, they can't be stopped until you physically stop them. Mm. I mean, they, they really keep going on. They, they won't change their patterns. They when they have a, they're willing to do. It's all about them. They want this for them and their mm. group, but they want. They don't care what it does to get to their goals. That's also what we think of in politicians, right? And right. it turns out, psychopaths are overrepresented in government. And interestingly, in my own profession, they're overrepresented in surgery somewhat. Now we're compensated psychopaths, so I just like to say that. <laughs> This is a problem when we look at motive because we this and this is just I'm mm. saying this as a physician. You can't fig, you cannot in your heart possibly understand the motive of people that have no empathy because it's almost an unhuman thing. You know, it's like these these people look and talk like us, but they really have learned to do it because they have learned since childhood how to get along in a human world without really caring about other humans. That's what makes yeah. a psychopath. And if they're in charge, then you won't believe this, but that's really what could be happening to some degree. You know, look at Prince Philip. What he did say was, he said, if, if somebody asked him, I think, about reincarnation or whatever, and he said, because he's getting up there, he just got out of the hospital, I'm surprised he made it, but he he, um, he said, yeah, if, I'm, if I die, I want to get reincarnated as a germ so I can kill 90% of the world's population. That's really what he said. He wasn't joking. He thinks that it's a big problem, and he thinks we should have... And then, you know, another another weird thing, and we have in this country is called the Georgia Guidestones. I don't know if you know about this, but in the middle of nowhere, yeah, in they've Georgia, got this. They've got these like, weird you know, guidelines on them, haven't they? Or something, so, something to do with how to fix the world. How to fix the world, and guess what they say? We only need five hundred million people, which means you've got to get rid of seven point two billion people. Yeah, that is quite but, odd. There's no way to get around talking about these at some point, but people are going to say we're all crazy for even mentioning it. I think that. You know, at a lower level, there's clearly bioweapons involved. There's clearly people, there's clearly psychological warfare involved here. Mm. The real issue still is, and this is why stealth warfare, why, what, what I was going to give the talk on a, year, a couple years ago on Warfare 5.0, oh, it's because you can't completely identify your enemy. So it makes it very hard to respond, right? Divide That's and really conquer. Divide and conquer. I mean, everybody is now fighting with everybody. I mean, I mean, you can't walk to the shop now, or into the shop, and someone, someone there is going to tell you to put on a mask. It's got nothing to do with the virus. It's to do with their right. control over you, and um, and their allegiance seems to have switched from their fellow citizen to the state. It's it's very strange. Right. That's exactly what it is, and that's what you want if you're the state. That's what you want if you're the state. So this, you know, it could be our own government doing this to us. We don't completely know. Mm. But, you know, just, I mean, the fact is it cannot be by accident that all these all these esteemed doctors and, and virologists and people in academic medicine and in the administration of the government say, oh, yes, we know masks work. There are over 200,000 studies that show they work. And I've looked at the studies, trust me, before mm. 2020, both did not exist like that. They're, they're, they 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 don't work like they say they know what they know i mean they know we know it but unfortunately the people that can sort through that literature are few and far between 
On the other hand, every bartender in every restaurant knows it's not true. You, you yes. cannot tell me that this is reality. You go into your restaurant and you're, you have to wear a mask to get in the first six feet. This is America. I don't know what it is for you guys in South Africa, but it's nonsense. And but then you could take your mask off to sit at your table. Yeah, it's exactly the, the same. And then you're safe. Okay. And then you're safe. You're magically safe. This is such a smart virus. It only goes up like <laughs> it goes four feet in the air. And so then you put your mask on, this dirty cloth mask that you've been kind of getting snot on all day. You take it off. You put it on the table. You put your bone on it. You then touch every utensil yeah. on the table. If we're really about contagion control, that cannot work that way. You, you don't wash your hands because then you'd have to put the mask back on to go to the bathroom to walk by tables of people without their mask on. No, it's, it, it's, it's stupid. There's no way that's science. You know? No, no um, but I mean, well, people... No, no, and people don't ask questions. But, you know, my wife and I went to a restaurant uh, a few weeks ago, and we left our masks in the car on purpose, just to see. And uh, when we arrived at the entrance, the uh, the waiter that was there, he said, look, I can't let you in. Uh, you need to wear a mask. And I said, but we're just going to walk from here to the table. He said, yes. The problem is, is that we've been reported by customers, and then we get visited by the police. Now, that's a right, problem, that's isn't it? So catch 22. Right. And that, is, that is so that is the next stage of this. And I will tell you that the, 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 if you believe and I've come around to this belief and I tell you one of the facts that made me come around to this belief that the world is controlled by a very few number of people. In 2011, they took all the corporations that were listed in the world and they ran them through a supercomputer to see how many were actually owned together. You know, how many people, how many people really own the corporations of the world? And they first, the first chop got them into the 3,000 range. Okay, so millions of corporations chopped down to about 3,000. Then when they hand sorted through those and put them back in, they chopped it down to about 100. And then when they hand sorted that, basically all these world corporations, you can, you can, the actual owners of these boil down to about 10 corporations. Sure. Like Chase Bank is one, I remember. Okay, 10 corporations. And wow. when they looked at that, it was a hundred people that were the financial owners of those 10 corporations. So you're looking at 65% of the GDP of the world, the world's wealth owned by probably a hundred people. Lots of so power. That's a lot of power, mm. but to a hundred people versus 7.8 billion, you know, uh, if we all rose up, they couldn't do anything about it. So the problem is they have to have capos just like the death camps had to hire the, 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 the Jews to, to then push the Jews into the, places they wanted them to be right that's what's happening so we have the masks serve a serious purpose i mean you have to ask yourself why are we so exercised about masks they know they don't work i mean the, the people that should know but the people that and people like you know dennis rancourt these people that are speaking out they all ostracized i'm ostracized i'm you know i'm i'm not in academic medicine and i have i have um Toronto McGill University writing a hit piece that cites me specifically on the subtitle of, of the hit piece mm -hmm. is walk away from America's frontline doctors and then below it it's Lee, Lee Merritt might be a good orthopedic surgeon but doesn't know about the science of masks. Why are they so exercised about math? Because once we start taking off the masks and refusing to play the whole thing falls apart. You see that's when this is a psyop but here's the problem. Here's mm -hmm. what I think this is what they could do. So they're going to separate us into two groups, the deniers that won't wear the mask and the people that go along like sheep. OK, and then what's going to happen is they get some people vaccinated, but they're finding out there's a resistance to vaccination, too. So they don't get everybody vaccinated like they want to. And and this is a genetically manipulative 
agent, by the way. I, I talked to, to Judy Mikovitz, so I understand how this works now and why you really don't want this, but or at least I don't want it. But the, but the thing of it is, when they can't get everybody vaccinated and not everybody will wear the mask, there's going to be they're going to be basically the same group probably. You know, I, if I don't believe in the if I believe in the mask, I'm probably going to believe in the vaccine. So then what happens is they, if they could potentially bring out a worse worse one of these viruses, as Judy told me, they've got them in the bottles. They've got them in Wuhan. We've got them in our labs. All over the world, there are worse bioweapons ready to go. Okay, She said she used to transport some of these, so she's in the know on this. Well, um, they could just release the next one that's maybe not going to kill a lot more people, but kill more people, and then they're going to say, see, you bad people that wouldn't wear your mask and wouldn't you did this. And then they're going to get people to fight against each other because that's what they need for controlling a human population. And then sure. they can round up dissidents. That's the next step. I mean, you know, totalitarianism always ends in murder. So, yeah. so just realize if we don't take our world back now, this is where it's going. This is a human control device. And if we don't start taking it back, it is yeah. ultimately going to end but, in mass murder. But Lee, okay. So, I mean, I'm getting questions on. I'm going to read a few, a few to you, if you don't right. mind. But I'm sure people won't agree with me. But I'm, I'm. I'm no, no, they definitely, say, no, they definitely do agree. Um, this is a very easy conversation. But, but when you say take take back i mean what does that mean well first of all again if everybody stopped going to a restaurant that needed a mask what would they do you know that's what ha you know in california the, the the businesses were going to go out of business so they just had to say we're not going to do this anymore and they all and i heard i heard this and i think it's true in italy all the restaurants just opened up again they said we're not going to play anymore mm. they all got together and they did it at once think about that so n number one, don't close your business. That's one of the first things to do. Just decide, you and your, you and your fellow business people, just say, we're not gonna close our businesses. A city's cop cannot police, they can police you as an isolated, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the American Revolution, there was a flag and it was a snake that was cut into pieces and it said, join or die. Mm. And it basically means it's time to, to get together because they cannot take us down if we're all together. And that's the point. So the business people need to talk to the business people. They need to say, we're not shutting down no matter what again, okay? Um, the mask is a hard thing because there are people they've gotten believing in it, okay? But but there's a lot of people that won't do it. And again, the more people that don't do it, every day that goes by, I, I can tell you my own, the, what I do is, I I never wear a mask unless I'm going to a to fly because I have to go fly to do certain things. I feel like I'm I'm at war. I'm fighting this war best I can with information. I got to go. So I have a mask that says. Masks don't control viruses, they control you. And it makes me feel like I can get on the plane with it, okay? But the rest of the time, I go into my grocery store, the big grocery store, I don't wear a mask. I might be the only person in there, but as it happens, the more you do it, the more other people will do it. That's the first step. We've got to get out of the mask. Especially this is so damaging for children. The children have to get out of the mask. And, and, and at some point, I would say people need to, for example, schools that are requiring children to be in masks, this is insane. 1.9 million school children in Sweden didn't miss a day, didn't wear a mask, didn't social distance, and not one death. Okay, and they didn't make their children, their, their, their teachers were not more sick than anybody else in 2020. So there is no excuse for tor terrorizing our children. Mm. And so what, what we're doing for them is irreversible. We have a generation of damaged children from yeah. this, but it's never too late. Let's just take the mask off. That's why parents need to stand up because here's what I, and so I ask this for any parent that thinks they're making their children safer, how many decades are you going to do this? In other words, we have a viral season every year, 
and bioweapons can come out every year, mm. okay? We have now entered a new age. If you believe what I'm saying is true, this is just like when we entered the atomic age. People yeah. built bomb shelters, right? But they didn't stop living because they were afraid of being killed by a nuclear yes. weapon. And yes, we correct. can't stop living because we're worried about the next virus. What we have to do is make ourselves, our own immune system so healthy that we don't depend on psychopaths to, to vaccinate us or, or tell us what to do. And we know things to do. You know, we know the supplements to take that help this. We can have hydroxychloroquine in your back pocket. You can actually buy it online. You can get ivermectin. It's starting to break through. I mean, mm. they can't get rid of hydroxychloroquine and, in Africa. They'll kill out half Africa. No, for sure. But I mean, what about what about um, it's well? Sorry, let me just rephrase it. It sounds like you're saying that we we need to reclaim our sovereignty. Absolutely. All right, and you know, so we're seeing, honestly, we're seeing Europeans do it more than we are. Mm. You know, <clears throat> thankfully, we have states reopening, you know. Um, but we, like, I'm in a, Omaha. I work in Omaha, Nebraska. And for, and even though the state doesn't have a mandate, Omaha put a mask mate, a mandate on. I think it's not, coincid not coincidental that in Omaha, we have the University of Nebraska Medical Center, which is taking, which is the third trial for remdesivir they're taking big money from the nih and so when it comes time they control the local medical politics they control mm. the local county medical uh, uh toxicologist who's a county medical officer and they are controlling the narrative so they got it done and that's what we have to fight against we're going to have to I, I love what they're doing in england and these in in europe and they're marching in the streets it is time to take I, to the I, street i like that um lee i i i'm, I'm going to go across to some questions if you don't mind sure, so sure. we we might we yeah. might bounce around a little bit but carla okay. wants to know and you did mention sweden a moment ago so carla wants to know why uh sweden has zero excess deaths then if there is a pandemic right good point no that's that's right because they let their people get natural immunity. You know, the, so this, the, com, the contrapositive, the flip side of that question is, why do we have excess deaths? Mm. Because not only did we not do the right things, you know, we did things that make people sicker. The only, you know, be, be, you know the worst thing that we did was, was infect people in the nursing homes. You know, mm. the governors, the five governors that put six people or sick people into old age homes should be tried for crimes against humanity, in my opinion. That there's no way they couldn't have known that that was a bad thing to do. That was a horrible thing to do. And they killed people. The other thing is we didn't do um, we put people in masks that actually turn out to damage you. You know, they ask what the downside of masks is. And I always say the worst downside of the masks are the children's psychological growth yes. you know and the fear that you're generating in children but beyond that when you go down well and there but there but having said that there is an increased risk of death because suicide is up yes. my friend who's a pediatric psychiatrist in la says they've never seen double digit suicidal ideation in their patients now it's 25 percent of their Gee. patients have suicidal ideation that's horrible right the japanese reported that they had more suicides in one month thanks to the covid uh uh what they were doing for the, the response than they did to the COVID all year. So it tells you that some of these excess deaths elsewhere are, are other things. We've had um, excess deaths probably because when you put people in masks that they're not getting good uh, air circulation, they're not getting good oxygenation circulation, and they're mostly they're retaining CO2. If you're a, a minimally, if you have a heart and lung problems, that could push you over. And I know of people mm. that are doctors that have had cardiac patients drop over in their waiting room in a mask. You know, do you, so 
that's a problem. And 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 then then I guess the other issue is the only I'll just say this and I'll stop. The only controlled study of masks of cloth mm. masks was done in Vietnam. It was published. It was published and it was very controlled. It was published in the British Medical Journal, and they showed that if you don't wear a mask, you're 13 times less likely to have time out from being sick. This wasn't about COVID. This was before COVID. It was just about general uh, like flu and influenza and upper and respiratory illness. But if you wear a cloth mask, you were 13 times more at risk of having problems with a respiratory illness than if you wore no mask. So those things collect germs and they're they're, yeah. they're doing bad things to people. They're damaging so high CO2. The other thing is CO2 behind those masks are a problem. So in the answer about Sweden is they went about their life. They probably more honestly reported the deaths and now they didn't do everything perfectly they mm -hmm. could have even lowered their death rate had they prophylaxed the people in nursing homes so for example if for six i figured this out for six dollars a week you could give every nursing home patient vitamin d zinc vitamin c and two tablets of hydroxychloroquine a week mm -hmm. and the death rate would have plummeted okay so we could have done that to help our, you know, it's, it's cruel and unhuman what we're doing to put these old people in solitary confinement. So that's that we could have done. They could have even done better, but they just decided we're going to just go the way we normally do and see what happens. What doesn't make a difference, obviously, is the social distancing and the mask because that didn't change the curve and that didn't right. change it from what it did. So it's not that they couldn't have done things, but, um, but I think we're going to find out more. So, Go ahead. so no, no, no. There's a, there's a funny comment here saying that because we down here are on the African continent and we're a lot more useless than the countries like yours, um, it's actually a pleasure. It's more of a pleasure living here because <laughs> because the enforcement is... A, <laughs> You're not is, the limelight? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's quite funny. Yeah. Um, Alice yeah. says, so, I agree so. with everything that Dr. Merritt... Uh, has said bar COVID being a bioweapon I still feel that it's flu rebranded um, that is a very it's a very common uh, comment that actually well yeah and so let me just say something about that that I didn't really bring up I didn't talk about 5G and some other things that mm. may be influencing what we're seeing okay so and and even among doctors you know you get you get kind of uh tunnel vision when you think something is happening then you see it okay maybe not happening exactly the way you think it is mm. so it could be let's say that you had a regular flu season but then you had 5g exposure and we don't know a lot about 5g because the telecommunications industry is completely indemnified like the vaccine industry so we don't test uh on humans about the effect of 5g we don't know what it does mm. to us really mm. they won't let us but in animals 5g does a couple things it, de it decreases your white cell white cells by 50% after you've been in a 5G environment for five days. They did that study in rats. And it came back when they took the rats out, but I don't know how, the, you know, that might, depending on how long you stay, it might not. But in mm. any case, the 5G suppresses, seems to suppress your immune response. So that's number one. And number two, it opens up pores in the blood-brain barrier. So those two things could make disease much worse. We don't know what it does to the ACE pathway. We don't know other things. Mm. But in, we do know that Wuhan, China was one of the biggest first rollouts for 5G, and Wuhan was the first city. And it was in 2019 that they started really implementing the towers in Wuhan, and it was December 1st that the, the that hospital where Dr. Lee famously reported the disease, that was the first hospital to fully be implemented with 5G in the hospital. So who knows what that did? And and it, 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 what I've heard, and this is again, this is this is. This is personal communication unverified, but the but the, the people that are in California saying we're we're lab 
scientists and we can't, and some of this has gotten out on the internet, we're lab scientists, we can't isolate this virus. We've asked the CDC for samples, they don't have it, we can't get it. So those people um, have, what they did say is, they've isolated when they get these samples from people's lungs with COVID, they get influenza A and influenza B. And you see, now influenza B, I've had that, and it's worse than influenza, it's worse than your standard flu. It's a two week course, it, it depresses your bone marrow, and it really can take you down. So it might be that we're seeing maybe a higher ratio of influenza B, who knows? But we're not, because we had a test that got us all focusing on this, this mm. new virus, we, it could have been, it could, that really could be it. We don't know completely and they haven't helped us know. Do you think history is gonna judge us very badly, or very harshly? Well, I think I'm gonna speak just, I don't think that it's gonna judge, you know, the guy, I used to feel like, who are these people driving around them by a, in a mask in a car by themselves? Those people are idiots, you know. But now I have some sympathy because I've heard from my friend that they're really victims. They're really mm -hmm. victims of the anxiety. I'm not going to judge them. But I tell you what, and somewhere there's somebody in a shower in a mask. I might judge him. But anyway, um, the uh, what I do believe, though, is my profession is going to get judged. Just like we judged mm -hmm. the Nazi doc. Because at some point, we have, a, we, have a, we, have three, we have three kind of groups of physicians. At the top are the people that are clearly playing the game and been bought, and we can Fauci's yeah. the, you know, the prima donna of this. But but it, it extends to every university, every research program, everybody that takes government money. It skews mm. your thinking, whether consciously or subconsciously. But I think they've got a lot of scientists. I mean, look, we discovered Charles Lieber, who was the head of biochemistry biology at Harvard, and was bought by the Chinese. He was part of the Thousand Talents program while he was taking $11 million from our Department of Defense to do research. That's treason. I'm sorry. I don't yeah. know what happened to him. We'll follow that. But that's not, you know, so we know that that's going on. So those people at the top are the people that are controlling how the hospital things, how they do things and how they buy products and why we're not using hydroxychloroquine. And they're guilty and they're going to be judged harshly and they should be judged. The, um, the bottom are like my son who's in training. Okay, he's a surgeon, but he's still in training. And those guys, unfortunately, they're not their own physician. They're under somebody else. They can't really speak out no matter what they think. Now, my son might think I'm crazy and not want to speak out, but I know I get contacted all the time by residents and uh, maybe you call them registrars, but the, the people that are in training, medical students, saying, I know this isn't right, but I can't do anything about it. And I tell them, it's okay. You're not the person that should be. But there's a big group of doctors in the middle. These are done with training, but they are stuck because they work for hospitals. They could go out and set up their own practice, but they're working for a hospital and they're so afraid of losing their job and they've got a wife and two kids and a mortgage, yeah. and, you know, or a husband and two kids and a mortgage. But unfortunately, at some point, you have to you, you have to say you're making a moral decision because you are explicit and you're you're we're killing we're at the point now of killing people by commission and omission. Yes. Okay. And omission specifically, I'm talking about not using the drugs we know work. And uh, commission would be you're the medical director of a nursing home and let sick people come in there. Mm. That's a that's a bad act. And you know. I love uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and, and he said, you know, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. That's what the medical profession in my country is doing and in other sure. countries. And I think we need to the, the, we need to start manning up and, and speaking out. So, I think yeah, it's, I think, I think it's in all countries. I think it's in all countries. Yeah, um, all countries. Everybody's following the same script. 
you know, I got to tell you, I was on a radio show in Australia and they were very nice. And I don't, I'm not bad mouthing the doctor that I was talking to. I felt bad for him, but you know, I will say this. So he, he, he was from the, it was called the COVID medical network and he was an anesthesiologist. And so we were talking about these things and he asked me to introduce myself. And I told him briefly who I was and how I got into this because of the hydroxychloroquine mm. issue and how I found out that this medicine, that this medicine's potential had been intellectually and academically suppressed for for generations okay and at one at the end of this which was a very short little intro he kind of looked at me horrified because he said i guess i should have told you that we can't mention drugs certain drugs by names or we'll we could be delicensed by our medical board so it became insane i was trying to talk about how we could prophylax people <laughs> in the nursing home and i actually had to say to him i started to say hydroxychloroquine and i caught myself and i said Oh, wait, no. If we could use two tablets of that drug who shall not be named, it was like Voldemort, the drug that should be not be named. But we, we could save these people. I mean, you know, it's insane. So just for the record, um, this conversation that we're having is on a dedicated server. It's not on YouTube. This cannot be censored. It, it then gets uploaded on it then gets uploaded onto the blockchain network. So there's no possible way that that you are being censored at all. Um, okay. <laughs> and I it's crazy though it's crazy how all of this is being censored Lee um, and I, you right. said you said in a conversation um, a World War 2 diktat that if you are getting flack you are over the target um, okay John and, quickly and the sorry part of that by the way the secondary part of that which I made up that's the pilot's dictum but my addition to that is if you're catching a lot of flack then you're over a target they really want to protect. And so you have right. to ask yourself, why are masks so important to them? Because Correct. they really want to protect that target. And then, and then John came in here to the, uh, for the rescue. He says, yeah, uh, the person or study regarding the network of global corporate control of the world was called the Glattfelder study. Oh, good. Yeah, I have it somewhere. I just haven't looked at it recently. But yeah, I have that. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much it as it goes for interesting questions, Lee. And also, I've kept you uh, about twenty minutes over time, so I suppose I have to let you go. But um, I tell you what, it is a fascinating, fascinating conversation. I, I look, look, I'm a I'm a disciple, so you've got. <laughs> I I I see exactly what you see. Um, I'm not medically trained, but I still see it. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I I have that that picture in my mind. Um, yeah, yeah. I've 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 sort of put the puzzle pieces together. It is very strange, though. Uh, I have to admit that it is very strange that we somehow are all, or a whole bunch of us are seeing it. But it's it's as if there's very little we can do other than suddenly becoming very self focused and 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 trying to, um, as uh, as Catherine Austin Fitz said on my podcast two weeks ago, she said we need to decentralize our lives our lives in order to regain our sovereignty. That's a good point because, and I don't know if you ever heard her talk about the Black Lives Matter riots and how she looked at the real estate that they were taking out and it turned out that is also part of this they weren't random mm. riots mm. they were burning down blocks of of areas that people wanted to buy up for there's a whole story about yes. that and it, she, she knows how to do all that i'm completely useless when it comes to real estate but yeah i think that that that's going to happen and for example the cities are like they're like these 
you know, I, I work in the city. I live in a little village, okay, quite a ways away. So I would go into this city, and it was like I entered Orwell's 1984. I'm in this yes. dystopian world, mm. or in Las Vegas, where I went to give a lecture. And you know what's you know what's uh, forbidden in Las Vegas, and it probably still is, real forks. You cannot have a real fork in Las Vegas. You have these. Yeah, I know. I went into a Greek restaurant where they have those gyros, and they're they're kind of they're really delicious, but the meat needs to be cut. And they they fer- they serve it to me on a paper plate with paper little what? little forks and why? Not, yeah, I know. Because they think that there's a problem with using standard forks and knives. We can't disinfect them. If we can't disinfect them regularly, we can't do it for this. But anyway, it's the governor's <laughs> edict. It's just, again, this is the, the czar. Okay, the czar of Nevada has said we can't have, have metal forks. I learned it because the guy comes, my waiter comes and says, how's the food? I said, well, it's delicious, but what do I do with this? You know, and I showed him this ball, this, this, this you know, twisted little piece of plastic that was once my fork. And he said, okay, very conspiratorially. I'll get you a real one, but don't tell anybody because I don't want them to shut us down. I said, let me get this right. And I come from a little village where they had a mask mandate and we just kind of said, we're not doing that. And nobody, people, people, some people did, but most people went to the grocery Mm. store. They went about their business. They didn't wear a mask. They didn't do anything. And so I go into this and it's like, really, it's the, the streets are empty. It's totally, you know, and these people are worried about a metal fork. And, you know, and, and you can't, I, I said, in fact, my comment was, please bring the mob back to Las Vegas. They would never have let this happen to their city and the Jeez. casinos. I mean, it's just horrible. So I think he, she's right. We will find that we're going to do more in our local villages mm. and we're going to be a little more self-sufficient with gardens and things because you don't want to be completely controlled by these people. But I have to say, here's the other problem. Eventually we have to physically take our world back and it's not going to you know right now it's an information war and we should all be information warriors we should be talking to people even if they don't think they're going to believe us we should be passively resisting and i have a friend whose grandfather was in the ira and having it been saint patty's day yesterday we had this neat talk and i said give me some points about what he told you or what you know about that today because we're getting to the point where we're going to be like the committee of correspondence we're going to be these little gorilla you know we're we're going to if we don't win this right now we're going to be in a world that we don't recognize and that we don't own and we have to take back and he said you know they called it irish democracy that people pretended to cooperate but every chance they threw a monkey wrench into the works of the government and that's where we kind of are with this mask. Yeah. You can nod your head and say yes, but you need to stop wearing it. You need to do everything you can to stop this thing. And we need to take to the streets to do it, I think. I agree. Um, I mean, just bec- before you go, this is what I do with my mask. So you have to kind of choose your battles, um, I've, right. I've found, right? Otherwise, I mean, I can't buy food from, from shops. They won't let me in. So I try and buy online more often now than, than I ever did. Um, it's just it's just too annoying to have to wear a mask all the time in the shop. But something else that I do is I almost always never wear a mask proactively. So I've noticed if I park my car, right. if I if I park my car at a mall or somewhere, people climb out of their car and they put it on. My thinking is, well, don't do that. Keep it off until you perhaps encounter police or security who are going to give you a hard time and then decide at that point in time whether that's a battle that you want to fight. Right. Isn't that a start? That's a start. We, You know, one of the things we did is, we, you know, you've heard about flash mobs for other mm. things. We just had a gentle flash mob and we had, you know, 
couple, you know, couple dozen people and just went into a big grocery store, all of us without masks. Kind of hard to stop all of us, that's you know? Been, yeah, that's great. You know, uh, I mean, that kind of thing, I, I think, because I think ultimately the problem with the online thing, I mean, I'd love, you know, I, 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 I'm sad because I loved Amazon. It was very convenient for certain things. But in reality, it, it means then you're completely under control. That's what they want us. They want us to have digital money and they want us to do this online shopping and stay in our little command centers at home and not go anywhere and not be humans. And that's not the way to live. So we're going to have to take back our local market somehow. Mm. You guys have it a little bit worse. So we don't have Gestapo sitting at the front of most businesses. And the ones that have it, I don't go in. Mm. I just, that that's one I just don't go in. We have a, one of my big hardware stores I used to use for all building supplies and things. Just don't go there anymore. And I'm sure they're going to start seeing that problem because the kind of people that go to those places are not wanting to wear masks. You so, know, that's a good point. It's a very good point, Lee. Actually, just take a principled decision and just go with it. Right. As so, much as you can. Yeah. Because you don't want the local, the local stores don't want to do this either. I mean, mm. they don't want to do this, but... I think that, the, and that's where I think the level of the stores, they're going to have to all decide to do it all at once. They're going to have to get together and say, and even if it's just in one village, we're all going to do it. What are they going to do? Are they really going to, they, are they going to send in the federal troops to surround your village? Maybe. I doubt it. You know what's sad, though, is here in South Africa, uh, on the one hand, we've got very sort of um, anarchistic people, which is you know that's how apartheid kind of came to an end you had a you had a lot of people rising up but then on the other hand you've got a lot of the middle class who just refuse to to do anything they won't protest they won't uh, they won't uh, they won't go against the state you know it sounds ridiculous but for I can't remember now but I think for about a month or two all the beaches in South Africa were banned all all oh, beaches I remember that Okay. And then they would tackle people if they saw them out there without yes, a mask. Yes, yes. And guess what? Do you think that people protested in their masses? No, they just blindly obeyed. And you know how frustrating that is because you can go onto the beach, but on your own you're an easy target for the for the for the police. Right. And then you and get it. Yeah. Some people are going to I, I mean I'm an easy target right now on the internet. Uh, you mm. know, my own I've gotten cancel cultured out of my orthopedic job. It's that's going to there're going to be some of us that are going to be somewhat victimized at first, but then people are going to have to it's amazing how many people then step up and say I'm here for you. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Here's a job. You know, it happens. So, you know, the other the other thing is I I said this 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 really horrified the doctors in Australia, but I'll tell you what I told them because they asked me about our response to vaccination. Are we going to be are we going to go along mm. with it? And I said, well, I said right now we have the Pfizer vaccine that's going through the states and um uh, the, at first they said 40%, but I now believe it's up to 60% of nurses on anonymous survey said they would not want to take it. Mm. But and, this, and then I said to him this, I said, but you know, let me just tell you, I hear a lot of people that are not in medicine right now that aren't faced with it. They say there's no way they're going to take this vaccine. And if you look at Minnesota, which is the state north of me and, and where I am in the United States, I said, if you just took all the hunters and put them together, yeah. they constitute the large, fifth largest standing army in the world. You know, <laughs> we are armed in America and people that not, you're not going to drag those boys out and vaccinate them. I'm just telling you, that's just the way it's going to work. So there's no, why governors are opening up around the states because they realize the majority of yeah. people are not going to put up with this much longer. They, the, the, they were starting to, the rumblings were starting and 
and you know, you can, you know, that's why I think I said this in other things, but I like this quote by Boris Yeltsin. He said, when he was standing on the steps of the White House and they were storming the White House during the, when the wall fell and the Soviet Union fell, he said, you know, you can sit on a throne of bayonets, but you can't sit on it for long. Well, mm. you know, there was a big lie that held the Soviet Union together for 70 years. I don't think it's going to make that long with this. I think we're not going to go two years with this lie. I hope it's going to collapse this summer. Sure. Well, so, on that... Say optimistic note lee uh yeah it's I been an, so. it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you um i will stay in touch with you with regards to this podcast um to get more information i'm going to put it onto my website tomorrow um i really really appreciate your time uh, i know that my audience has and um i will stay in touch with you if you enjoyed this podcast please visit supportgerm.com